everyone. My name is Ed, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're uh, visiting with us and I haven't met you, uh, thanks for coming. Boys and girls, we are so glad to have you in here. Now, next week, I'm going to begin a new series of conversations that's very, very important. I'm going to be talking about prayer. That's the primary way in which we connect to God. We'll spend five weeks talking about prayer together, but today we're ending a series of conversations for in which we have talked about community. So I'm going to say three, boys and girls, you listening? I'm going to say three, one, two, three, and everybody's going to say community. One, two, three. Why do we talk about community on a Sunday morning? Uh, Well, that's first of all what we're trying to build here, authentic, Jesus-centered community. We spend so much time talking about community because it's such a difficult thing to have these days. I say these days because, uh, boys and girls, I grew up 304 years ago, and I lived in a small town in South Carolina. And when I was growing up, my best friend was Stevie Renfro. And uh, Stevie was from the town that I grew up in. His parents were from the town that I grew up in. And his grandparents were from the town that I grew up in. My parents were both from about an hour away, and we moved to this little small town. My other best friend was a uh, a kid named Kaufman Taylor. Kaufman's mom was from the town that I uh, I was born in, and his dad was from about an hour away. Everybody knew one another. It was a small town. You kind of had community. But as we look around here, we are from everywhere. And we live really, really disconnected lives, and we have organized our lives in such a way that we've, <clears throat> we've provided for a lot of our really important and strong and pressing needs, but we haven't organized our lives in a way that we're providing for our deepest needs often. And our deepest needs are to build really strong connections with one another. Now, boys and girls, I'm going to talk to you one more time. I will use a word here on Sunday mornings regularly. Uh, I use it just to irritate your mom and dads. This word used to be used a lot back in the Old West when I was a little kid. Posse. But a posse really is just a group of people that you have something in common with that you hang out with a lot. So you've you've got a sheet in your bag boys and girls, that talks about your posse. Grab that sheet and go to work while I'm talking. Here's what I'm going to do today, and and now I'm talking to the older boys and girls. Uh, Here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to talk about a passage of Scripture. It's kind of odd that we're even talking about this passage of Scripture in a conversation about community. We're going to talk about a passage of Scripture, and then at the very end today, I'm going to make some comments about why all of this is so difficult for us. But the passage of Scripture is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You'll hear me talk about this passage for a little while and how it relates to the idea of community, and then I'm going to talk at the end today about why this is so difficult for us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is at the very end of Jesus' life. This might be the very last interaction that Jesus had with his original disciples. Let's do this. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word as we read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
So you follow along as I read. This is, this is maybe the last encounter Jesus had on planet earth with his disciples. And he tells us something very, very important. Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, bless this to us today. Open our hearts and speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So we've been working our way for the last four weeks through a definition of community. And here's what we've said. Authentic, Jesus-centered community is a group of people who live the life of Jesus with and for one another, sharing their lives and resources in a way that is loving, interdependent, and radically open to community. That's what Jesus is. Pause for dramatic effect. There's the definition. That's not what Jesus is. That's what community is. Pause for dramatic effect. There's a definition. I think it will help us bring this into focus if we take a sec and talk about what community isn't. First of all, community is not a demand. Not ever. We offer community. We don't demand it. People are drawn into Christian community and into God's kingdom as well. They are not pulled. They cannot be. We can't demand that other people love us or that other people join us. We only offer. Secondly, community is not the solution to all my problems. Some of us enter into the community of marriage thinking that's the case. That's not the case. Community doesn't solve all my problems. Don't burden community with that unrealistic expectation. Jesus is the solution to all our problems, and even that's difficult to figure out and, and to realize and live into. Community cannot carry all of that freight for you. And perhaps most importantly, thirdly, Christian community is not a closed club. It's not a huddle. It's open to all who want to come. It's more like a party, and everyone is invited. That's why William Temple, many years ago, could say the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. And that's why authentic Jesus-centered community is radically open to others. And that's our topic today. The community is radically open to others. Listen, our church mission statement, if you're newer to Gateway, you might not have heard this yet, but our mission as a church is to be used by God to draw others into authentic, Jesus-centered community. So authentic, Jesus-centered community, as we've talked about in our conversations together, it's all about intimacy with others. It's about stepping in and investing. It's about belonging not just attending. It's about loving interdependence. It's about a shared life, even shared resources with one another. It's about being with and for one another, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with us. Our mission is to draw others. And that's what authentic, Jesus-centered community does. Most of you have heard me tell uh, the story of our property before. But if you have not, let me tell you real quick, and I'm telling you this just to highlight the importance of the job that God has given Gateway Community Church. Many, many years ago, uh, about 20 years ago, let's say, this entire area was mostly woods. 
There was one little sliver, a two-lane road that ran through this entire area. It was called Gum Springs Road. It was a little two-lane road that ran, you know, up north of Arcola and ran all the way down to Sudley Road. And everything else was woods, including where your homes are and the schools are and the shopping centers. At the time, there was a, a, a developer, a real estate developer, who used to buy and sell property and help, he would help build uh, uh, apartment complexes and shopping centers. And he would look for pieces of property that were worth a lot more than they were being sold for. And then he would try to buy that property. And he would use it to build something on or he would sell it to another developer for more money. Well, he saw a piece of property that was right on Gump Spring Road and it was dramatically undervalued. That means it was worth a whole lot more than it was selling for. It was about 32 acres and they were selling it for a little over, over $600,000. And it was worth a whole lot more than that. So he thought, I'm going to buy that property and, and I want to build a mall there. That was when malls were actually a thing. So he came out one day to walk around the property just to kind of get an eye of what it was and what it looked like. He was a brand new Christian. This had never happened to him before. But while he was out walking that property, he felt like God spoke to him. And God said, that property is not yours, it's mine. And I want to raise up a church one day and put it on that property for this area. Well, you guys, that church is us. That property ended up being ours, and it's this property. It's what we're standing on now. It was long before this was built. And we are that church that God raised up for this area. So that means we've got some really important work to do. We have work to do, and that work is important to us. It's important to the life of community. I repeat, the work of drawing others is in, critically important to us, to the life of community. This man named Bruce Bettelham, he was right when he said this. Listen to this. I'm convinced community can flourish only it exists, if it exists for an aim outside of itself. Community is viable if it is the outgrowth of a deep involvement in a purpose which is other than or above that of being community. The love of God is one of the few commodities in life which grows for the giver when it's given away. As I said, we have critically important work. We must reach out to the community for us to be vital. But maybe more importantly, we are called to do this critically important work by our Savior. All right, consider this. Jesus originally called 12 people to be around him and to learn from him, to be his disciples. And that number 12 was no accident, by the way. If you know, in ancient Israel, God's people, there were 12 tribes. Jesus was signaling, I'm starting a whole new thing. I'm starting a brand new community. And then he told this new community that they would show other people that they were his followers, not by how much they knew, but, but by their love for one another. He built this intense little small group of loving community with 12 people. And then he signaled to them that his life and his teaching, it was really the point of all God's activity throughout human history. So they must obey him. So after he had invited the 12, 
after he had built them into this small group of loving learners, after he had taught them the secret things of God, then he told them to open it up to the whole world. Let's not miss this. After a full court press of drawing them in toward one another, toward life together, toward loving interdependence, his final teaching to them was to send them out into the whole world. And that final teaching hangs over the church still through all generations. Here's essentially what he said. It's easy, you got it. Go and make disciples of all nations. First of all, go. Don't, don't huddle up, go. You know what, that, that applies to us literally here on Sunday mornings. Don't just huddle up with the few people you know here on Sunday mornings. Go. That's why Jordan, sometimes at the end of our service, he will, he will remind us of the three-minute rule. By the way, there's no rule. Jordan made it up. But he'll remind us of the three-minute rule. It's just Jordan's obnoxious way of telling us to go speak to others that you don't know. But this is true for us, not just here, throughout our week as well. Your, your, your work is a part of your going. Your school, boys and girls, is a part of your going. Your, your life is, is meant to go. Go into your neighborhood. Go into your job. Go into your school and, and share. That, that, that stuff is not disconnected from your spiritual life. Share what God has deposited in you. You bring Jesus with you wherever you go. So go and make disciples. Secondly, we are not called to be religious. We are called to make disciples. One word quickly to parents. Parents, you are not called called to raise little successes. You are called to raise disciples. So go, make disciples of all nations. And it's interesting that Jesus begins his whole speech by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I had a professor who used to always say, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask what the therefore is there for. In other words, what is it about Jesus having all authority that releases us to go and make disciples? Well, we don't know for sure, but I suspect that the answer is that Jesus knows how uncomfortable and intimidating this assignment is for all of us. I'd rather stay huddled up. I'd rather just be with my posse, hang out and be comfortable, rather than go and make disciples of the whole world. But we don't have to be intimidated. In fact, we are emboldened because of who we represent. We represent the one who has all authority. That's whose name we come in. And finally, let's wrap up with the passage. What do we do with those disciples when we're making disciples out of them? Well, he gives us two things. He says, baptize them. I think that means more than just get them wet. By the way, we do that here on Sunday mornings. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Gateway, we have four panels in, in our stage over here that we lift up, and there's a tank there that we fill up, and we literally baptize people here on Sunday mornings sometimes. I'll say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'll put them all the way under the water in the tank, and we think that's a sign that that person is saying, I'm in. I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him, and that's the way to signify that, but that also kind of welcomes them and initiates them. I think Jesus was saying, I want you to go out, and I want you to I want you to spread this symbol over them, but I want, you, I want you to initiate them. I want you to welcome them. I want you to bring them in. And then secondly, I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. Well, that's what we do when we make disciples. We have work to do, Gateway. It's critically important work, and we are called to it. All right, everybody take a breath. 
let's admit that this work will not be easy. It has never been easy, but that is especially the case right now. Uh, I've, I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but I saw something else this week. I, I, I saw an article where someone called, parents, you need to hear this. I, I saw where someone said that uh, the parents of the current generation, you are raising what this author called the loneliest generation. I find that ironic, isn't it? Uh, kids, you won't know this, but again, I, I grew up 300 years ago. This was before uh, the Facebook this was before cell phones. Some of you are old enough to remember this, but do you remember the first cell phones? They were about this big. You, 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 it took almost two hands to hold them up, and it was amazing. You could talk like anywhere. When I was little, the only phones that we had were landline phones. They were in your phone, uh, in your home. Everybody had one phone, and if you wanted to make plans with a friend, you know, you had to say the exact time and where you were going to meet them. If, if I was going to come visit you, I'd have to get on my landline, call you, and say, hey, where do you live? And you would say, okay, well, you go down Gum Spring Road, and you take a right on Braddock, and then you go down three-quarters of a mile, and you, and you turn left into Kirkpatrick Farms, and, and we are the home with the red door, and I'll be out front waving my arms so you'll know it's us. And then hang up, and if I got lost on the way, I'm in trouble. i got to drive all the way back to my house and call you again. And then, then this thing, cell phones came along, and they were gigantic, and then they got smaller. Some of you are old enough to remember the flip phones. And, and you could start texting. It was amazing. Only you had to press a button about nine times to get to the letter that you wanted. So it took 20 minutes for you to text. C O M. E space, T-O space, M-Y space, H-O-U-S-E, send. And maybe it would send. And then we came up with smartphones, and the entire world is in your back pocket. Diane and I, my wife and I were in Upperville yesterday. It's a cute little town out Route 50, and Diane said, I wonder how many people live in Upperville, and I said, that is a question that Mr. Google can answer. So I pulled it up, typed in, what's the population of uh, Upperville, and Google gave me an answer, and I'll bet you it's pretty accurate. And yet, with all of that information, and all of that communication, we are raising the loneliest generation in history. We need the message of community perhaps more than any generation in history. Hear, hear me, because we are choosing other things. It's a difficult message for us. Taking the message of Jesus, drawing other people into authentic Jesus-centered community, it's hard work today. I want to give you another reason it's hard work today. Our culture is more and more, I'm talking about the America that we live in, is more and more anti-church. I'm going to wrap up with this, but I'm going to tell you stuff that you already know. You've read this too. Our culture is moving against us. We are in the midst of an historic de-churching in America. Have you read this? According to research conducted by 
Gallup polling combined with the Pew Research Center combined with the National Opinion Research Center's General Social Survey, religious affiliation and participation among United States adults has declined consistently since the 1970s. I don't want you to miss this. So much so that in 2020, before the pandemic, in 2020, religious participation dipped below 50% in America for the first time ever. Only 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque. This is down from, wait, pause, this is down from 70% in 1999. Now, if you're boys and girls, that sounds like a million years ago to you, but it's not. Did you get that? In 21 years, American participation in religious community life went from 70% to 47%. And the numbers for each subsequent generation are getting worse. In other words, the younger you are, the more likely you are not to participate in religion. Now, there's some indication that that trend is changing a bit for the under 30 crowd, but that that change seems to be driven by immigrants moving into America and not by native-born American kids. With the help of two social scientists named Ryan Burge and Paul Jube, two pastors named Jim Davis and Michael Graham, they conducted a, a pretty large research project designed to, to find out why people aren't going to church anymore. Based on this research, they've written a book they called The Great Dechurching. And this book has caused something of a, a stir, even in the culture at large. I wouldn't be surprised if, if you've heard of this. I saw an article about this book in the Washington Post. I heard about this research from two different podcasts, and I read an article based on this book from The Atlantic. And I, I give you those sources because those are not Christian sources that are responding to this book. A few weeks ago, Jason Wood, who's part of our congregation, sent me a short article written by one of the authors who was summarizing some of their research. And I want you to hear, this is fascinating, I want you to hear some of what he said about the great dechurching. They said a lot of other stuff in this book, but he, he, in this article, he lists five myths about why people aren't going to church. I think we need to hear this. So these are five things that are not true that people inside the true church suspect might be true about why people aren't going to church anymore. Myth number one, the reason people left church is because of politics or church trauma. Turns out that's not true. Roughly three-quarters of the people who left the church did so what he called for casual reasons, for pedestrian reasons, including moving, the inconvenience of attending, Kids' sports, hello anybody, family changes like marriage, divorce, or having a new child. Some of them didn't mean to leave. It just happened. And then over time, they got out of the habit. Myth number two, people have left the church because of secular public education, especially higher education on college campuses. Now, this is interesting. There seems to be some truth to this idea in Europe, statistically, but in the United States, not so much. 
Among those that were surveyed, people with higher education were less likely to leave the church. And this held true for younger generations as well. For those from churches where the Bible was taught, uh, de-churching and education were, were almost inversely related. In other words, the more education, the more likely to stay in church. Only 3% of, of those people that grew up with that kind of background where, uh, in a church where the Bible was taught with graduate degrees have become de-churched. Only 3%. I'm going to quote from him. This finding challenges the notion that the secular university erodes the faith of many young Christians. While the 18 to 30-year-old time frame is the period when people are most susceptible to de-churching, the cause doesn't seem to be secular higher education, end quote. Myth number three, people have left the church usually because of a lack of belief. This doesn't hold up statistically. Certainly some who've left the church never really believed before, and they report that. But many others say they still do believe. While they've gotten out of the habit of going, they claim they still believe what they used to believe. Myth number four, people are leaving the church mostly on the secular left. If you don't know what I mean by that, don't worry about that. But if you've watched the news any time in the last six years, you know exactly what I mean. Turns out this is not true. Now, the earliest groups to de-church going back to the late 1980s and mid-1990s, they were more left-leaning politically. But by 2023, conservative Christians are de-churching at almost twice the pace as people who claim to be on the left. Uh, part of the explanation for that, they found in their research, and there's some evidence for this, by the way. If you have suspected this, there is some statistical evidence for this. Part of the explanation for that is that large groups of people, four large groups of people, Right-wing politics has replaced the church from a belonging standpoint. What they really connect to is their politics and not church. And this showed up in the survey. Myth number five, they are not willing to come back. Turns out that's not true. And I'm going to quote from the article. The single best piece of good news to come from our study is that more than half of those who have left Bible-believing churches are willing to come back right now. That's nearly 8 million de-churched who are, are willing to come back to church. We don't have room for all of them, but we've got room for quite a few of them. I'm going to continue with the article. The reasons why they're willing to come back vary from group to group, but on the whole... People are looking for two things. This is not me. This is this article. Listen to what they're looking for. Number one, healthy community. And number two, a local church that actively demonstrates how the gospel is true and good and beautiful. All right, it feels weird to end a series of conversations about community by talking about outreach. But remember, that's how Jesus ended. Gateway, we have work to do. And if we're honest, we have to recognize that that work is going to be difficult. But it is work we are called to do and work we do for our own benefit. Let me end our entire uh, conversation on community by saying this. If you miss everything else, I want you to hear a couple of things. Number one, you were made for authentic Jesus-centered community. You were made for it. 
And, and you and I don't have a deeper experience of it because we have chosen other things. But the second thing I want you to hear from today, think about where we live, you guys. I want you to hear this. Jesus is silent in Northern Virginia. He is speechless here. He's lame. Jesus can't walk around here. And he's deaf. He doesn't touch people in Northern Virginia unless we do. We are the body of Christ. And unless we are his voice and his ears and his hands and his feet, Jesus will not move. We have work to do, and it's critically important work, and we are called to it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up if they would. Here's our definition for community. Authentic, Jesus-centered community is a group of people who live the life of Jesus with and for one another, sharing their lives and resources in a way that is loving, interdependent, and radically open to others. If you are in the process of connecting to Gateway or if you are deciding whether or not you want to connect to Gateway and you have not heard these lessons, I never do this, but I want to encourage you to listen to the last three weeks as we have walked through and unpacked this conversation because this is what, we, this is what we're trying our best to invite you into. Authentic Jesus-centered community. This so the question for you and I is, what is the right next step for you to take toward authentic Jesus-centered community? I know it's been a little bit distracting this morning, but that's not a rhetorical question. I'm not expecting you to answer out, but I am expecting you to wrestle with an answer. What is the right next step, no matter what level of community you feel like you're engaged in? What is the right next step for you? You can only do the next thing. So what is the next thing for you to do, all of us, in, in moving toward authentic Jesus-centered community? Maybe for some of you it's to join Gateway. Maybe some of you need to take the Connect class and find out who we are and how we operate and, and, and to join. For some of you... Maybe it's find a small group, or maybe be, be honest with your small group about what's going on in your life to step in more fully to the small group that you're in. Maybe for, for some of you, it is to volunteer. Parents, thank you so much for showing up today and doing your thing and let your kids see you in this environment. Try to hear from God and and. Try to worship Jesus. Thank you. That's, a, that's a, a step toward making disciples. I also, by the way, parents, I want to thank those of you who have come over the last two or three weeks to Gateway. We've had a, a lot of visitors, and we've started growing again, which is awesome and good news, but there are challenges to that. And some of you have been turned away from our kids' town because our classes were full. We do that because we want to keep your kids safe, we want to do our best to disciple your children, and we don't want to overwhelm our volunteers. So if you're here this morning, for some of you, maybe the next right step for you is to volunteer so that we don't have that need in the future. Or for others of you, maybe it's take someone to lunch today. That's not illegal. Uh, to just make a connection, to take a step forward relationally with someone. Uh, 
Or maybe it's an offer to pray for someone in need. We have two couples at Gateway that have came to me this past week, and they want to start a dessert night for newer people at Gateway to just hang out and get to know one another. What an awesome idea, and what a gigantic step toward connecting, toward building the building blocks of authentic Jesus-centered community. What is the right next step for you? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we have work to do. You have called us to be and to build authentic Jesus-centered community. And Father, we think right now about someone in our family, one of our neighbors, or a workmate, a longtime friend who's far from your love. We lift them up to you. Father, we pray that our lives would burn so brightly with your spirit that they would want to know what's up. So we, uh, we recognize that we've got work to do and we, 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 uh, we, lay down our, we lay down our agenda this morning. We take up yours. We ask you to just take us to the world. Take us out to our places of work, our neighborhoods, and let us represent you and let us, God, use us to draw others into authentic Jesus-centered community.